Hello and welcome to the Bucket List Gamers podcast. I am the much maligned Argonian Jay and I'm joined today by everyone's favourite Khajiit, Eddie. Hello. And if you hadn't guessed already, we're looking at Skyrim today and just Skyrim for a change. We're doing a one game episode because we think we can get an hour out of it. <laughs> we thought that with Portal 1 and 2 and it didn't go well. But Skyrim's a big old game, isn't it? So it should be okay. It's number 17 in the list and it came out in 2011, unbelievably. So, <laughs> Jesus Christ. 12 years old? Which is mad. I can still remember it coming out and it does not feel like 12 years ago that that game came out. Although, when you think about it and how many different consoles and platforms and stuff it's been across, then it does make sense. Yeah, I've bought it at least three times, I think. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, like you say, it, it sort of does and it doesn't feel like 12 years ago because I remember buying it. I remember being properly hyped for it. And I, I don't think at this point I'd played much Oblivion either because it was on the 360 and I think I'd played a bit of it. And then after finishing Skyrim after 100 odd hours, went back and played Oblivion because I wanted more of a Bethesda RPG. I remember getting Oblivion, which we, we've talked about Oblivion on a previous episode, but I don't think we particularly covered how we both got it and that kind of thing. I, I don't know if I told this story, but I'll tell it again. Oblivion was, at the time when I bought it, that, oh, that's for nerds and I'm not getting that game. It's it's not my kind of game, all that kind of thing. And I went into Game Station and, and braved the stench of BO and damp carpets because they had a second-hand sale on. And this is this is how bad it is when you look back at it. I picked up Viva Piñata as the game I actually wanted, and the the deal was buy and get one free. So I I either took it on its own or I picked something else off the shelf. And the only thing on there that I didn't already have or was even remotely interested in was Oblivion. And I picked it up thinking oh, I'm never going to play this. And then I played Viva Piñata for about two hours, which isn't the worst game in the world, but it's certainly no masterpiece and then i put oblivion in and that was it it was the only thing i played for absolutely ages me and my friends were all playing it at the same time so we were all going off in different directions and sharing tips and and all that kind of thing and i think i struck lucky because i picked an argonian just because i liked how they looked and it turns out they just make the game so much easier because they can breathe underwater and one of my biggest bugbears in games is not being able to breathe underwater and having to rush through water sections. And I know you can negate it, can't you, with pendants and that kind of thing, but yeah. it's just there as an Argonian. So I looked out on that, and I don't think I've ever been a different race on the multiple playthroughs of both I've had. I've never picked a different race other than Argonian. No, and that would be the same for me as well, because I think I had never, when I first booted up um oblivion i i don't think i'd ever really touched proper western hardcore rpgs i dabbled in sort of like final fantasy which can be considered well the more eastern rpgs really and the turn-based style and stuff like that and so i just went into oblivion completely blank slate really uh booted it up started scrolling through the character creator saw the argonian and went that it is immune to poison (laughs) And it's um, it can swim underwater, like you say, and, and I, I'm not a massive fan of underwater levels anyway, so Subnautica really, really freaks me out. I have a massive issue with deep water, even if it's in video games, I freak out about it. But yeah, I picked the Argonian, and I don't think, like you, I don't think I've ever picked anything else. No, and you don't get a good ride of it either, do you? Even in Skyrim, because they're not particularly well-liked. No. Um, they're, they're seen by other people as sneaky and treacherous so you you don't have the best time of it when you're chatting with other people they'll often be a bit cagey around you or some of them are outright just nasty to you and i don't know if it affects does it make things different like more difficult to barter and that kind of thing because you start off with this negative level of trust i would assume you would i never pretty much in all bethesda games i've never really tried bartering that much I've just gone around and nicked everything, and, and <laughs> which the Argonians are brilliant at because they've got supremely good stealth. And I've ended up with like the majority share of the universe in gold by the time <laughs> I finished because I've just wandered around just pinching all the knickknacks off the shelves while everyone's in bed. So I've never really, I've never really bought anything either in, in either Skyrim or Oblivion. I've just pinched everything. 
I think in Skyrim there's it, it's it's less jank. I know it's still full of jankiness and it breaks and, and and a lot of the time and that kind of thing. But I feel like they did improve slightly on the character model, like where the mouths move and you know, like if if soldiers approach you to arrest you and that kind of thing, it feels a bit more natural. Whereas in Oblivion. The, you'll like spin a one eighty, and this guy will be right in your face. Like literally, you just see his mouth on the screen. Uh, they seem to have sort of fixed that a little bit in in Skyrim, so you don't get those jump scares from the guards quite as much as when they come up to you to try and arrest you. But yeah, just to jump back a little bit, so Skyrim, where do you even begin with the storyline? I mean, you you start in a cart being taken to prison, which is very similar to the first game. Yeah, because you start locked up in in well the first one sorry in oblivion, uh you start locked up in that. Whereas this, are you on the way to being beheaded or something, or yes. hung or something? So it's a little bit more serious. And then a dragon wipes the town out where you're going to be beheaded, and you escape. And then that's where the game starts. You you never get hunted down. I don't know what you've meant to have done to be on the way to this hanging, but that goes out the window as soon as this dragon wipes this town out and you quickly find out that you're dragonborn and you can do these dragon shouts and dragons have suddenly awoken because they have to give an explanation as to why in oblivion there was no such thing as a dragon and then all of a sudden there's hundreds of them flying around all over the place causing damage so they do that by saying oh they've all suddenly awoken and you're linked to it and it goes from there but in true bethesda rpg style there's a million different subplots and twists and turns and things you can busy yourself with and I made the the standard mistake I make in every one of the games like this, which I've already said I made it in Harry Potter. I immediately ignored the main quest line and just went off and did my own thing and therefore didn't learn dragon shouts until about 10 hours into the game, which does hinder you quite a lot when you're trying to, because they're quite useful. So yeah, that was another another experience for me where I really should learn from these mistakes, but I never do. I always just run away. And I know when Starfield comes out, I'll do exactly the same thing. I'll do as little of the main story as I can. I'll run off and I'll probably miss out on some really important piece of information that hinders me for about 10 hours. I think that is one of the good things about well, Bethesda games as a whole, but particularly Skyrim. No two persons playthrough will ever be identical. There will be some people that will go to that first barrow at the top of the mountain and they will go through and they'll fight all the undead horde, use magic and set fire to the massive ass spider at the end of it, collect the um, key item that the tavern owners sent you on the quest for and carry on with the main quest. Or there are other people like yourself who will just go and do their own thing and they'll either work their way around to the main quest or they'll get that lost or that far since their last save game and they'll get smacked across the face by a troll and it'll just kill (laughs) them and they'll go back to the start again. But yeah, I don't think any one person's playthrough, if they're done in isolation, will ever be the same because there's always like a random NPC that will just spawn in a place that you've walked a hundred times and they'll talk to you and they'll give you a side quest and... And it's all just distraction material. That's all it is. It's not It's not really world building as such. It's just like, here's the next distraction on the way to the grave. And it's just constant. It's massively sort of engaging, even though, that, even yeah. though you know that's what it is. If somebody comes up to you and says, oh, I don't know, my partner's gone missing in this, in this underground lair. Can you go in and find out what's happened to him? You really want to know. And you go in there half thinking, if I do something nice for this person, they might reward me. Half thinking, this person's probably dead and I can loot whatever they had on them, which is probably better than what I've got. And every single time, even though it's a lot of it is glorified fetch quests, it doesn't feel like it because the environments are so vast and so engaging and so immersive and the people, even though they're voiced by like the same five individuals, all feel to an extent unique when they're giving you these quests and and you feel like you do owe them to do what they're asking even though you don't and some of the people are just perfectly horrible aren't they, they they've got this arrogance down to a t but then they still expect you to do something for them and then when you inevitably get the chance to turn on them and not give them the thing that they want and instead kill them and keep it for yourself it just makes it even more satisfying and the fact that you can just wipe anyone out, I don't think there's... 
I think apart from like, is it Ulfric Stormcloak? I don't think there's many people you can't just outright kill, and it just it'll end the quest line that any quest lines they're involved in. But if you really wanted to do it, you can do it. And I think there are some sort of key people, aren't they, that will get knocked out and then you'll get arrested and then they come back. But I'd say probably 80% of the people in that world you could just butcher if you wanted to. And it all it does is limit the amount of quests and things that you can go on. Yeah, and there's no sort of Paragon or Renegade, I know Mass Effect terminology, but there's no sort of ethical dilemma to it either is there aside from losing experience and losing out on the side quests and potential like weapons and loot that you may get from doing those side quests there's no real negative impact like you'd find in fable or mass effect or anything like that and like you say you can you spend your life being told to go places and do stuff either at work or with family and you resent it a lot of the time and then these random collections of ones and zeros come up to you and essentially just give you a shopping list of shit they need you to do. And you just sort of go, yeah, go on then, I'll do that for you. And you just go off and do it. I think it's it's nice that there's this supernatural element to it as well. That always plays into it for me. You get this, because it is, it's not set in the real world, is it? But it's... It's set in a mostly human inhabited environment, and then you get these orcs or these massive spiders or the the dragger or whatever they're called, who are like reanimated corpses. And you've got your fantasy elements from the dragons, but then you've also got this like paranormal undertone where there's ghosts and spirits and hauntings. And I think I mentioned it on the Oblivion one. There's that one house in Skyrim where you go in to investigate this disturbance and you get locked in and all the objects start flying around and this huge booming voice is telling you what to do and you go down into the cellar and there's a shrine to this evil deity isn't there and he gives you the option to basically take his gift or fight and and i don't know what you meant to fight if you do fight because i took the gift because it was pretty good but yeah, if, if you did fight, I don't know. I assume just a load of ghosts or something would spawn, but there's really creepy areas, in the, isn't there? And they've gone even further because Oblivion had these creepy tombs and that kind of thing. But then in, in Skyrim, you've got these dwarven, what are they called? Where you go, cause you go down like ornate lifts, don't you? But then they're like really underworldy and there's imps and stuff attacking you. And yeah, they just take it up another level. I don't like them though, because they're so sprawling. And there's so many paths to go down. You go in one of them and you can be in there for like two hours and not even find what you're looking for. At least the caverns are relatively obvious what direction you need to head and where the good loot will be. Yeah, they're um, they're called the Dwemer, aren't they? They're not yeah, dwarves in Skyrim. Dwemer, Dwemer ruins and stuff like that. That's it, and when yeah. you get down there into them, it, they've got the massive um, mechanical robot, the automatons, like the Golden Army from Hellboy. And they've got like ornate machinery and stuff like that that you have to work out puzzles to solve. But also down there, you've got the um, the elves, sort mm. of like the, the elves that live in caves, and they're like vampires. They're like your traditional Nosferatu, completely bald-headed, yeah, yeah. skinny little freaky things that just sort of scuttle out of the darkness, slash you up and then bugger off again. But yeah, it and they're not particularly well lit because no. I, I think the Dwemer are sort of supposed to have been mythological for quite some time by the time you get round to Skyrim. So they've been long abandoned cities and stuff like that. So there's no natural light anymore. And it's just really unsettling. Because, the yeah, there's no... Apart from those elves that are... They're Skyrim's version of ghouls, aren't they, from Fallout? Yeah. They hide in the shadows and come out and attack you and run off again apart from them there's no living things down there is it the dwemer have all been it's all been abandoned but these robot booby traps and stuff are still active and then they're not easy to beat until you've got some hefty weaponry because they're so well armored like the little ball drones and stuff even they can do some serious damage so when you very first find one of these dwemer chambers it's it's really big and ornate and you think oh i've stumbled on something really good here and then you go down into it and just get absolutely annihilated. And you think, right, I'll come back to this later. And I don't remember if there's anything particularly good in them. Like I don't 
think there's any like quest lines that go through there. They're they're purely to be explored, I think, aren't they? There might be a couple where you have to go and chase someone down there or something, or find something for someone, but I don't feel like they're part of the main story, unless I'm misremembering. No, they're sort of like of interest to scholars and stuff like that, so Mm. you do tend to get, go and find me this book that I've heard about in this Dwemer library. You're like, oh, right, okay, lovely. And I think the first time I actually went down into one, I hadn't been properly paying attention during a long session of talking with a an NPC and I am pretty bad at doing this pressing and holding the B button to skip when the the little pedal bin mouths flapping away <laughs> at me um I'm just like yeah 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 what do you want me to do what do you want me to do and I just agreed to the quest and it was like oh your quest location is over here went over to it I went oh shit um <laughs> I don't really want to do this one anymore um yeah as soon as you start going down and it just opens up into this massive antechamber with like automatons clanking around. Like, oh, I'll come back to this when I'm a higher level. Is the one bit where they're excavating one, so there's quite a lot of guards and stuff around, and there's a few quests in that bit, isn't there? But yeah, a lot of yeah. them are just for you to stumble across and explore at your leisure, but it's not particularly leisurely to go in there and explore them. I, I never particularly like them compared to the standard catacombs or an ice cave or some old buildings. I much prefer that. But the the land itself is ginormous as well, isn't it? To say 2011, the vastness of, of the area that you can explore and actually have things to do in it, I think is the more important point. Like you look at GTA 5, which we've covered previously, has a massive area to it, but I'd say a third of it is empty. It's just for driving cars around in or escaping from police. You look at Cyberpunk, absolutely massive, but I'd say about 15% of the map is worth exploring and the rest of it is just... And I don't know if they've patched more stuff into it now, but when I first played it, that was the case. Skyrim, on the other hand, yes, you'll get big distances where there isn't anything, but I don't think you'd... If you picked a direction from a main town and started going in that direction, I don't think you'd go for more than a couple of minutes before you found a hut or a cave or an NPC, or something to battle, or there's always something out there. It doesn't feel like you're just going through an expanse of nothing to to get to the next place. There's always stuff, like you said earlier on, to distract you from what your initial task was, and that's how you end up going from, I'm doing a main quest to, I'm going to investigate this cave for this person. Oh, and then there's something over there that looks like I might be able to fight it oh, I've took that out and I've got a good bit of equipment, so I'm going to go to the nearest town and put it in my storage. Oh, they've given me a quest to go and get some milk from somewhere. And then it just you end up in this endless cycle of, I've got about 30 quests open. Which one am I closest to to do next? And you just go through and pick them all off one by one. It always does amuse me that the thought of the rest of the world of Tamriel and, and how it's... Oh, Skyrim, sorry. And all the citizens in it put pinning their last hopes on this one guy that can't complete a simple side quest without picking up every other thing on the way. It's like, this one man, this hero of the land is going to save us all just as soon as he's finished doing that person's laundry. He's gone to pick up that person's <laughs> um, home shopping delivery. He's going to go and rescue that man's dog over there. But But soon, but soon he will come and save us. <laughs> I think the words that strike fear into every Skyrim player and Fallout player and Oblivion player are, you are over-encumbered, because you will see that pop up a lot, because if, well, if you like me, you will, because I pick everything up. I will pick up, it'll literally say something's trash, and I'll pick it up and go, well, that might come in later, you never know, it might have some value, or, and I think in Fallout it does, doesn't it, because you get like a trash cannon gun. So even the most useless of things, but that doesn't happen in Skyrim. So you end up with a pocket full of, like, I don't know, plates, wooden plates that are never going to be of any use whatsoever, but you're in a room and they're there, so I'm just going to take them. And and you'll end up with houses full of chests that just have stacks of things that you will absolutely never use, but you've taken anyway and stored away nicely. And then at some point you'll go, oh, I want rid of all this stuff because I need the chest space. So you just throw it all over the house and then you'll come into your house and it's just piled high with wooden plates and metal jugs. and Because I don't think there's a way to actually trash something, is there? It just You chuck it on the floor. You can, you can disassemble stuff, but that's yeah. only if it's like armour or weaponry. 
So you could you could take an inventory full of wooden plates and jugs and find a chasm and throw them in, but you can't physically, like you say, dismantle them unless it's something worth dismantling. So you go around just gathering all this stuff, and sometimes I would find myself stealing wooden plates at the risk of getting in trouble with the law just because it was in this house. I want that. I'm going to take it and, and have no purpose for it. And anything that you've stolen has a little red symbol on it, doesn't it? Like a red hand, is it? Yeah. To say that yeah. you've stolen it. And if you have those on you when the when you get stopped by a guard, you get in trouble. So there's there's loads of stuff like that where you'll be walking around and, and you've got like half a house full of stolen things and you need to fence it as quickly as you can, but there's no one to sell it to. <laughs> and you end up carrying more than you can. And then when you're over encumbered, you can't fast travel. You can barely move, depending on how much you pick up. Can you? Like, you can't jump. You're just sluggishly plodding along. But sometimes, if you, if you, oh, here we go again. Hold on. A few moments later. Hello. Hello. Oh, no, I can't hear you now. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, there we go. Now I can. Once oh, again, yeah. my headphones, which were fully charged, <laughs> have decided to die on me. So I'm going to have to sit with my head all crouched forward for the next 40 minutes. If if anyone out there wants to donate a new pair of headphones, <laughs> please get in touch or or send me a pair. I'd ask for my... Because these weren't cheap headphones either. These were like £100 headphones and they barely hold a charge. Anyway, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, you'll end up going on a quest where you go through a particularly loot-filled dungeon. And you don't pick up any rubbish. You just pick up a load of weapons that are of value or you might want to use later on. But you become over-encumbered almost immediately. And because you're stubborn, like I am, and don't want to drop one piece so you can get all the rest back, you will plod through the wilderness <laughs> from wherever this cave is to wherever you've got like the nearest location to save stuff. And it can take... I, I remember once I'd, I'd done some sort of uh, catacomb and I found like four or five good water, like axes, and axes weigh a ton, don't they? And, and sledgehammers. Yeah. And I was like, I'm not getting rid of any of them because I think I could use all of these if I enchant them properly. So I, I walked in real time, 20 minutes to the nearest village, <laughs> just plodding along. And if I'd have thought on, I could have just fast put one back in a chest, fast traveled, dropped them off, and then come back. But I was, by the time I got like five minutes into this trek, I was like, nope, I'm, I've come too far now. I'm just going to keep walking. I didn't have a horse, so I couldn't load it onto a horse. So I walked these axes, put them in a chest, never used them again. I've just got this. If I loaded that save up, they'd probably still be in that chest now. I've got this wonderful image because you don't have a rucksack or anything, do you, on your character. So I've just got this wonderful image of your trousers slowly sliding <laughs> their way down your thighs until you're literally just dragging these very full trousers with just axes sticking out the back and just shuffling with your feet still in the legs like, no, no. 100% on uh, Wednesday when I go into work, somebody's going to say, Oh, Eddie was uh, imagining your trousers coming down. <laughs> is, that, is that what goes on on the podcast, is it? Oh, dear. But yeah, I, I do like, I do love Skyrim. I think it improves on Oblivion in almost every way. Yeah. There's not much I think Oblivion does better because Oblivion gates are terrible. They're the worst thing about Oblivion, as we've already mentioned. There's. There's better weaponry. The dragons make it better. The dragon shouts make it better. The people seem a little bit more switched on than they are in Oblivion. And I think the lock picking's different, isn't it? Did they change the lock picking to be more like Fallout? Because in Oblivion, it's the one where you knock the little pins up, don't you, with the little hammer. I did enjoy that and the little tinking noise it made when you're doing it, but the one in Skyrim is so much easier and more straightforward to do. So yeah, they they did a, another thing they improved on from Oblivion. I think is the fact it tells you if boxes and chests and stuff have anything in them, yeah. so you don't have to just open a random empty box. You can just look at it and it says empty, and you can move on with your life. The guilds are all there again, and and they seem to have been fleshed out a little bit more. And there's a little bit more purpose to actually completing the guild missions rather than than what you got in Oblivion. So yeah, in, in in all, I think it is just a generally better version of Oblivion. 
And I'm I'm not a graphic snob by any stretch of the imagination. I I tend to go in for if the story's good. I don't tend to mind the graphics that much. I can it sort of compensates for it. But again, Oblivion has been taken like and and just run with how good they've moved the graphics engine on, and it's you do get a lot of popping of like textures and stuff like that where you'll open like a door into a city and then you have to wait 30 seconds for all the textures to finish popping in (laughs) but it's a bethesda game we are used to it now but the draw distance isn't even terrible you can literally see for miles in any given direction and after a certain point it does just get a bit murky but you can there are very clear and distinct that is a mountain there are trees in front of that mountain and you can be a good 20 30 40 miles away from wherever wherever it is you're looking and you can still see the majority of the architecture or you can see the majority of what is on that mountain you can see if like there's a bit of castle ruins halfway up it sort of thing so the draw distance on it's fantastically good and considering it was a 360 game originally yeah all that generation they they must have pushed pushed the hardware to its limits i think what they uh what they didn't put into making the characters look great they put into making the environments and draw distance and stuff because the characters look better than oblivion but they still don't look fully human for the most part I mean, obviously some of them aren't. The Kaji and things like that look all right, and Argonians look pretty good. But when they're trying to do something recognisable as a human, a lot of the time they've come up a little bit short. Yeah, it's a bit like the Uncanny Valley, isn't it? They've Mm. got the thousand-yard stare while you're talking to them, and it looks like an upside-down pedal bin while the mouse flapping away at the bottom. And they've, they've tried to make people in it a bit more autonomous in responses, aren't they? So... Like I said earlier on, I know in Oblivion they did it, but it's even more so in that if you're an Argonian, you'll get completely different sponsors to a Nord or a Kaji or someone else would do. But also, they've tried to vary it. If you talk to an NPC that has nothing to say, they won't always say the same thing. They might have two or three phrases that they can throw at you instead of the arbitrary one. Apart from the bloke that took the arrow to the knee, who only seems to be (laughs) obsessed with that. It's the only thing he'll say to you the whole time you speak to him. Uh, but yeah, they, they've definitely they've definitely done a great job on it. And speaking of versions, as I mentioned earlier on, oh Jesus, there's been quite a few of them over the last twelve <laughs> years. So seeing as this this little feature seems to go down quite well whenever we do it, <laughs> I'm going to see if Eddie can name all the versions of Skyrim oh. and what platforms they were on. So I'll give you a couple of little points. So there are 18 different releases of Skyrim, and they span across 10 platforms. So starting with the first three, they should be pretty straightforward. Well, first four should be pretty straightforward for you. Yeah, so you had Skyrim for the PS3, Skyrim for the Xbox 360, Skyrim for the Xbox One, and Skyrim for the PS4. (laughs) Uh, Are we actually? In... Oh no, no! See, you've gone off track already. So, Skyrim for the Xbox One and PS4 was the special edition, uh, which is dif- okay. different from the original. So, there's two more systems the original is released on. I'm assuming PC and Mac. Mm, PC is one. Please tell me the Wii didn't have one. No, the Switch did though. Apparently. Oh, okay. So they I waited guess. until the Switch came out and then did a Switch version of uh, the original Skyrim. I was going to say, is it not the special edition? No, no. The Switch got a regular (laughs) edition first. Okay. So then you've got your special edition, which you've pointed out was Xbox One and PlayStation 4. I'll, uh, I'll give you this one. PC got a free upgrade of that one as well. Right, okay. So that's all the special editions. Didn't they have like a game of the year edition as well? So it's it's called anniversary edition. Oh, okay. And this was released for seven different. There's there's seven versions of it across six Jesus. platforms, sort of. So I give you the first one. PC upgrade was the first one. PC upgrade. Um, PS3, PS, Xbox 360. 
No, no. Uh, so the anniversary edition was Xbox One and PlayStation Four. Oh. <sighs> um. Mm. And and then they did the anniversary edition. I'll give you these ones for the Series X, Stroke S, and PS Five. Okay. So they just oh, right, re-released okay. those. I don't think they made any difference to them. Uh, they also did an anniversary version for the Switch. So even the Switch has had two versions of it. Jesus. And then the final anniversary edition, which they are classing as a separate version, was a DRM-free version of the PC one. Right. So it's identical in every way, apart from the fact that you can share it with your mates if you really wanted to. If you can find any that haven't got it already. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, though, most people will have had it. Um, They did a VR... I do remember that. They did uh, Skyrim VR. So, yep, that's for PS and PC. So they're the two Skyrim VRs. Now, the last one, a bit of a curveball. This is, it's the last one that got released, but it is a version of the original Skyrim. If I remember rightly, they did a an extra special version of Skyrim that was for the Amazon Echo. It was advertised by Key and Peele. If I remember, how does that even work? How do you play it I'm, even? I would assume it's like a um, you know a choose your own adventure sort of thing. So you get to a oh. door, do you go through the door? Yes, Alexa, I go through the door, and <laughs> you just go around. Like, I, to be honest with you, I don't know. <laughs> I'm I'm googling it. <laughs> okay, so it's the Echo Port of Skyrim is less of a game and more of a joke, uh. which I kind of gathered by the fact that they put a port onto the Echo. <laughs> Alexa will describe visual bugs and poke fun at the ideas of stopping a heated battle to eat several rolls of cheese, making it a <laughs> hilarious experience for real fans of Skyrim. And Bethesda signed off on this. <laughs> well, they must have done. Knowing that it's just taking the piss out of themselves. Oh, fair enough. That's Bethesda have moved a couple of ranks up. At least they know that what they're putting out is is sometimes a load of rubbish that needs a lot of work on it. Oh dear. That's fair enough. So yeah, we've we've been made we've been made a fool of by the Echo <laughs> the Alexa version there. Eighteen different releases in twelve years. Jesus Four different versions. It is a bit mental. And it's it's not like any other game has really had that level of I mean, I know we st- we spoke about stuff like Lemmings that's been ported twenty four times, but that was released in nineteen ninety one. Yeah. This was released 10 years ago and it's been ported to pretty much every system that's been out and some that aren't actually gaming systems. And I know Resident Evil was prolific, but... The difference with Lemmings and stuff is that that was ported to a generation of consoles when there were about 20 different consoles out there, including all the home computers. This has been ported to three generations of Xbox when it surely didn't really need to be. The the Xbox Series X, as as somebody pointed out to me after we said it couldn't last week or a couple of weeks ago, can play 360 games and can play oh. Xbox One games. So you didn't need another port that they just tacked a load of stuff onto. Because I don't think... I think they tidied it up, didn't they, for the special edition. So they improved the graphics and stuff on that version. Yeah. But from what I understand, the anniversary edition is just... Here's a load more content and the exact same game. So they didn't need to do that because the Xbox One version already exists and people could just buy it for the Series X and use that, take a second-hand version or download it off the store. So it, it seems some of it seems like a cash grab to me, and I'm sure it is because they've <laughs> there's no signs of Skyrim 2 or God knows what else has come in until... I think there was whispers recently, weren't there? But there's nothing been made concrete because they've been focusing on Star... I keep forgetting Field. the name. Is it Star... Starfield. Starfield. I knew it was Starfield, and I was like, no, that's a different game. I, and this is the thing, I get, I get to the end of the word star and then go, I can't I can't remember what the second no. part of that game is. <laughs> but I think they've just been so focused on this new space adventure. They've let the others, and I know they're still churning out a little bit of content for online and for Fallout 76, but I just feel like they've let everything else rot while they focus on this. And then when they realise that the the Skyrim fans are clamouring again. They go, oh, here's another version of it with a few more bits tacked on. I I genuinely think their nose has been put out of joint by Obsidian. 
um, who did Outer Worlds. Mm. So essentially, Outer Worlds was just what Bethesda does, but better, which is pretty much par for the course with with Obsidian because they did it with New Vegas. So Mm. Bethesda made Fallout 3. It was okay. Obsidian sort of came in and went, ah, we'll give this a go, gave it a go, and it was so much better than Fallout 3. Didn't have the shite ending, didn't have to have DLC tacked on to make the story make sense and not piss half the fans off. And then, obviously, the Bethesda started picking up steam again, went back to doing Fallout 4 and stuff like that, and then Skyrim was massive, and then Obsidian again have turned around and gone, well, we've made this sort of showed their hand with Outer Worlds and it's a, it's it's essentially a Bethesda game, but not janky, not riddled with bugs, competent storytelling, and I think it's really put Bethesda's back up and they've gone, Alright, okay, we'll show you how it's done. And I really hope that Starfield actually delivers on that. From what I've seen, it's it's gonna be your typical Bethesda, and it? it's gonna be amazing and bad at the same time. Yeah. It's going to be fantastic, and then there's going to be a bug in it that stops you playing for a week, so they figure it out. I mean, while we're on Starfield, do you want to do you want to finish Skyrim and rate it, and then yeah. we'll move on to Starfield? Is that a better way to do it? Yeah. So, what did we give Oblivion? Can you remember? Uh, high sixties, low seventies. Let me see if it's on uh, the list before the list broke. Uh, Elder Scrolls Oblivion seventy five. So I feel like Skyrim deserves way more than that. I've played it yeah. more than Oblivion. I would, if I have the time, go back and play it again now. I really enjoy it. I just don't have two, three, four hours a day to sink into it like I used to do. You know, two, three or four hours a week, I'd be lucky. So I'd probably put it up. I'd put it higher than Halo, personally, at 82. I don't know if I'd put it above Resident Evil 2 at 87. I think I'd put it somewhere in that gap. To be honest with you, I was thinking about a 10-point difference between it and Oblivion would be fair, so 85. Yeah, I'm happy to go with 85. Let's get that in the book. So that's another one off the list, and 85 for Skyrim, which I think is a... Some people would argue it deserves more, but I think there's that much wrong with it. You can't really <laughs> give it that extra few marks. I mean, it is a brilliant game, and it's very playable. But it's frustrating as all hell when you're halfway through a mission and it just breaks. And then you yeah. can't do that quest line anymore. And if you're unlucky enough to, for it to happen on a main quest, unless you've saved before you started it and you hope that it doesn't happen when you reload it, you can throw hours away. So I, I think that's what you've got to take into account. But absolutely fantastic game. There's no taking that away from it. The the writing, I know some of it is very cheesy, but it's, it is well written. To, to write that much dialogue, for a game is an effort in itself and to record it all with the same five voice actors and a couple of celebrities thrown in is an achievement in itself to program that level of world you're always going to have bugs and the fact that there are so few game breaking bugs again i think is testament to how well they've done with it because i think i told this story on when we did oblivion but when they first started programming the beginning in the horse and cart where you're getting taken in to be hung it kept shooting off into space, the whole horse, cart, <laughs> carriage, everything, and they couldn't figure it out. And it turns out there was a bee and and like a completely automated bee that had a parameter set on it where it could not be moved. And if that bee should just so happen to fly in front of the horse and carriage, the bee can't move. So the horse and carriage has to, and it just catapulted it into space. <laughs> and that, that <laughs> took them like a few days to figure that out. And you think about that, that's one bee in the whole game that had this parameter set wrong. And you think about how many other things could have incorrect parameters or one little slip up is going to break the whole thing. It's, it's amazing. It actually works when you look at how vast it is. So I think 85 is fair. You ready to move on to Starfield and this little yeah bit of shenanigans that they've pulled. If you're not aware, Microsoft bought Bethesda with the, I believe, with the sole intention of not letting PlayStation have Starfield when it came out. So they bought Bethesda, they put all the games on Game Pass, which is fantastic for people like us with Game Pass who can just get all the Bethesda library for free and don't need to dig out one of the five disc copies of Skyrim we've got knocking about or Oblivion. And it means that Sky, that 
Starfield is exclusive to Xbox and probably is going to stay that way, I think. I think it'll end up the same as Spider-Man on PlayStation. I don't think it'll ever get ported across as long as Microsoft keep owning Bethesda. Unless Sony throws some serious money at it, I don't see it ever moving across, which is a shame for people who've had it for PS... Well, for PlayStation. I know one of my friends doesn't do Xbox. He's just... He's tried it, he's had one, didn't get on with it, only plays on PlayStation. Fallout and Skyrim are two of his favourite games, and he can't play this one now, which is a shame. I don't I understand why companies do it, because it sells consoles. There will be people out there who've bought an Xbox Series X purely to play Starfield when it comes out. But I just don't think it's fair on people when you lock these games behind a console exclusivity. I'm lucky in the fact that I've got both. But a lot of people aren't, and a lot of people... I mean, I can't really afford to have both, but I've got them. Uh, and then there's people that just genuinely can't have both or don't get on with one or don't want both, don't have room for both, or that kind of thing. So to lock this away on, on an Xbox seems harsh. I assume it'll be on PC, but then again, PCs are incredibly expensive to to get to play a game of this level, so... Yeah, um, and I, I'm with you. I do not think... I, one, I don't think Sony will try and throw money at it. I think they'll just migrate their attention elsewhere and put money into something that they can claim as exclusive again, like Spider-Man. Um, but it, it's not the only financial jiggery-perkery uh, Bethesda have been playing with this particular title, is it, in terms of paywalling it? No, it's it's a bit of an... It's it's almost like they've given with one hand and then slapped you with the other. So they've they've put it on Game Pass at launch, which is amazing. Really nice thing to do because you don't usually get a game of this standard for free, essentially. I know you're paying for your Game Pass, but it's only 15 quid a month or something if you're paying the top whack. And I, I got it on the old £1 trick, which I don't think you'll be able to do now gold is going but yeah i think i paid 70 quid for three years worth of game pass so ridiculously cheap and you get this game for free on day one or so you think you actually get it free on day six so what they've done is there is the free version which is on game pass if you don't have game pass you can buy the bog standard version for 70 pounds for a digital download, not even a physical copy, £70 for a digital download. If you do have the Game Pass version, or you've paid £70 for it, you can then pay £35 for the premium upgrade. And what the premium upgrade gets you is access six days early, so you could play as of today. We're recording this on the 1st. So as of today, 1st of September, if you got this £35 thing, not even like a 5 or a 10 or upgrade, £35, so the cost of most games, a brand new single game, you get five days of early access because it comes out on the 6th. You get an expansion that's not even out yet, so you don't get that until that releases. Uh, you get a skin pack, a gun, a spacesuit, and a helmet, and something called a boost pack, which I don't know what that is. And you get a digital art book and the original soundtrack, which I don't know if you're anything like me, but if I got that, I wouldn't ever look at it. I barely look at physical ones, never mind digital ones. So that's a £35 increment. Or if you if you didn't have Game Pass and you didn't want to do it that way, you can pay £100 for the premium edition, which gets you the stuff that I've just mentioned on the base game digitally. So not even a physical copy again. So it just... It, Seems massively expensive, if you ask me. Uh, yeah. For for what you get there, and I mean, it even says on the on the screen on Microsoft, the premium edition is ninety nine pounds ninety nine plus, and then underneath it says offers in app purchases. <laughs> so I don't know what they're gonna be, but it it sounds like you get some sort of in app purchase at some point. So whether that be loot boxes or God knows what. But yeah, that I mean, the base game for 70 is a lot, in my opinion. I know games have been slowly marching their way towards a £70 price tag for quite a while, and it's just become sort of like commonplace. Um, and I do resent it, and I do, and I appreciate that they've got to meet overheads and stuff like that. But games aren't any more expensive to design for. 
They're mm. not paying their employees anymore, as is exemplified by the likes of Bobby Kotick, who runs EA, whose own staff can't afford to eat at the staff canteen. They're paid that little, and that's like developers and stuff like that, and artists. They don't own any of their portfolio. So they, they can't go to another company and say, this is the portfolio of the stuff I've worked on. They're not allowed to do that because all of that portfolio officially belongs to the company because they've worked for it on company time. They're made to do ridiculous amounts of crunch to get through it and work ridiculous amounts of overtime to get a game over the line. And you just look back and you think, like 10, 20 years ago, games were 30 quid. And I know yeah. we've had inflation and stuff like that, but to double in price or one and a half times the price whatever is just it baffles me how we've come to that the games have literally reached a point now where they're not any prettier mm. we, we've sort of maxed the capacity of what we can develop and what we our consoles can play the consoles already cost an arm and a leg and for, what was it, two years, you couldn't get a PS5 for love and the money without actually being scalped by a an eBay yeah. um, seller because they'd run out of the microchips. So it's only just recently that we've been able to have a PS5 for uh, an inverted commas reasonable price tag. But you look at the GameCube. It was, it was 130 quid on release. Yeah. We've gone from that to £700 worth of a console plus £70 plus for a game. They've even got the collector's edition for Starfield, which is pushing 300 quid, I think. Yeah, Yeah. 250. I mean, that's not looking like a bad deal now. When you think that the premium is 100 quid, 250 quid when you get a tin and an actual digital watch, physical digital watch, a a physical art book, I think, a steel case, the game, all the add-ons, 250 quid's not out of the way compared to the... If this game was 40, 50 quid, then yeah, that that special edition looks expensive and premium. At the minute, it's looking like that's probably what it's worth to get a physical physical copy with a free watch. So it just... I, I don't... I wouldn't be buying this game if it wasn't on Game Pass for 70 quid. There's no chance. As much as I love Skyrim and I love Fallout and I will probably love this game, I wouldn't be parting with 70 quid. Because I know for a fact by Christmas it'll be forty, if that. Yeah. And you'll be able to get it then. I feel like they've made it seventy quid so that people go, Oh, well, that's four or five months of Game Pass. So I may as well just buy yeah. Game Pass and have it free on there and and pay the thirty five pound upgrade to get all the add ons and, and play it a bit early. That the bit that bothers me most is that thirty five pound upgrade. If that was 10 or 15 quid, I'd go, yeah, fair enough. It's not even a season pass because you're only getting one bit of downloadable content and a couple of extra bits and an early access. And in five days' time, four days' time, that early access isn't worth having, but I bet it doesn't come down in price. So it'll still be 35 quid for all the the extras, which I don't think are worth it. Because, like you said, they'll do a Game of the Year edition as well. There'll yeah. be a game of the year edition, if not this time next year, if not earlier, that'll have all the gubbins added on to it, and it'll probably be 50 or 60 quid. So if anyone's got patience, you can <laughs> play it. for. And I know that's the same with every game. It'll come down in price eventually. You don't have to buy it on release and all this business. But 70 quid and 35 quid extra or 100 quid just seems too much for me. I just... I, I, and I know it's maybe because we're set in our ways, but... There'll be kids that can't afford 70 quid to play a new game. I used to scrape together 30 or 40 for a new game, and it took me a while. Imagine even now scraping together 70 quid to buy the latest game. And then most of them will probably want FIFA, which is going to be another, well, EA, whatever it's called, football, which is going to be another 70 quid in a month's time. It's just, it's pricing people out now, I think. And I know gaming is a luxury, but that's too much. And and I think the the thing that always strikes me when they say, "Oh, you get the first like part of the DLC for free," and it's like that's great. Couple of questions on that: one, why isn't it included in the base game? If if you know you're doing it, it it already <laughs> exists. 
It is already existing content that you have arbitrarily hacked out of the of the game. Two, two titles spring to mind: Marvel's Avengers and Anthem. Sold God knows how many season passes, how many pre-orders were like, oh, if you pay this extra amount, you will get this first batch of DLC for free. And then they get absolutely panned critically and they end up shutting the servers down. So you have overpaid up front for a product that is one, incomplete, and B, that they will never fully commit and give you what you have paid for because they just go, oh, yeah, it's not worked out for us. We're just going to shut the servers down. Okay, so I paid 30 quid up front for extra DLC. When am I getting that? Yeah, we're really sorry. Sucks to be you, though, doesn't it? And then they move on to the next thing. Well, I'll say two things. One of them, you're going to know what it is because I've already ranted about it very recently. (laughs) But the first thing is, I bet that downloadable content is in the game I've already downloaded. Yep. I will almost guarantee that the 200 gig file or whatever the hell ridiculous size it is has that DLC already built into it. And then when I pay my £35 and they decide to push the button, it just unlocks it. Yeah. And they'll probably chuck out an arbitrary, like, 100 meg download or something to make it look like they're updating it when actually they're not. Two, I suppose it could be worse. It could be Sonic Origins and you could pay up front like I did and then get literally nothing and then get told you've got to pay another 15 quid to get the stuff you were promised in the first place that you never got. And now I'm not going to let it go because that's 50 (laughs) quid and I still haven't bought it because I refuse to pay it. But I also have looked at pre-ordering uh, Sonic Superheroes or Superstars or whatever it's called. So they're still going to get more of my money. <laughs> they, they won't learn because I'll still end up throwing more money at them. So yeah, that still irks me. But hopefully Starfield lives up to the price tag. If it is a really good game, then yeah, at least it's offsetting that. And the fact that they're giving it away free six days after its actual release is is fair enough, I suppose. It's They didn't have to put it on Game Pass, did they? They could have just rinsed us all for 70 quid and lots of people would have paid it. So you yep. can't complain too much, but it just feels like the add-on bit is too expensive and the base game for people who don't want to have Game Pass is just... it's For me, it's 20 quid too much. 50 quid is a lot for a game, in my opinion. And 70 is just ridiculous. And I know we said it's a luxury... But and and that that comes with being an adult. Everything's a luxury as long as it's not food, heating, or the mortgage, or what have you, or the rent. But for kids, trying to explain to a kid why his mates are playing this new game because their parents can afford it, and he doesn't get because it is online, isn't it? You do get. Do you uh, get I sort of interactive? Will... I don't know, actually. That's a good point. You'd assume so, but maybe not, because there isn't... They're probably going to release Starfield, I don't know, The Colonies or something, and that's going to be like their version of Elder Scrolls Online and stuff. So they've probably cut that out as well to release at a later date to to get a bit more (laughs) money out of people. Yeah, how you explain to, like, a seven- or eight-year-old or even up to like early teens, that they can't have the game all their friends are raving about and playing on because it's 70 quid. It, it, yeah. When we were younger, we experienced that to an extent, but usually it was, oh, you can't have that game because you haven't got that console because the console's too expensive. Yeah. But these days, I'd reckon like a good proportion of kids have got at least a Series S or a PS4, where they could play this game. I don't know if is it have they put it back onto PS4 and Xbox One, or is this a truly next gen game? I think it's truly next gen. I think they were going to, and then saw the mess that they made of Cyberpunk and went, mm, probably not. <laughs> but even then, the the Series S is affordable these days, isn't it? I mean, even the, yeah, even the Series X is relatively affordable. So a lot of these kids will have the means to play it. They, the parents just might not have 70 quid this month to drop on it. And I suppose they can go, oh, well, here's 15 quid. You can play it for a month. But then imagine telling a kid that, oh, you've only got a month to play it. Like It was like when we used to rent games, wasn't it, from Blockbuster or yeah. whatever. 
And that was horrible because you knew in two days you're never going to finish this game in the time you've got to play it and, and then you've got to take it back. So, yeah, I think if they'd have made it 50 quid, they're obviously trying to offset the amount of people who are going to play it for free in inverted commas on Game Pass, which is fair enough, I suppose. But, it, yeah, it just it irks me a bit when they go, oh, this game's... Because I know for a fact in two months it won't be 70 quid and anyone who's yeah. paid it has been done over massively. But that's the the human nature of wanting to do everything as soon as you can, isn't it? I'm a I'm a sucker for it. Yeah. I have to have things as soon as they come out. So that's the thing, I suppose, and and it's something we'll have to live with. But yeah, seventy quid. It just it stuck in my throat a bit. That it's just a bit too much. Uh, I don't think if we get anything else to cover. I know we were going to talk about a couple of other games, but we've hit the hour mark. So I think we're probably going to have to have to call it here we've we've got a couple of episodes planned i'm i'm in the process of lining up another guest who's going to come on and talk to us about her her favorite obscure games hopefully so that'll be a fun one because i've already used gregory horror show i've talked about that far too much so i can't use that one again so i have to find another obscure game to talk about uh, but that should be a fun one so look out for that one as i said last week we've still got the special patreon edition which will be on there for another probably three weeks before it moves over onto the free version. So if you're clamouring to listen to that one, it is a really good one. I actually listened back to it the other day and and I really enjoyed it, even though when we were recording it, I wasn't sure how it was going to go over. I think in the end it actually did make a really good episode. So if you want to listen to that early, you can go to patreon.com slash bucketlistgamers. And if you subscribe to any tier bucket list, uh, bucket kicker or above, you will get that additional content now as well as a couple of others, because we've already recorded one. We've got a couple more in the pipeline. So we're hoping to keep a regular schedule on there, as well as hopefully keeping this a bit more regular, because the last episode was a little bit late out. Which brings me on to the Patreons, unless Eddie's Eddie's looking like he's got something important and to we say. Also have, we also have a potential pack opening in, in the works that oh, will yeah. be... The- Potentially getting loaded onto YouTube should Google Drive actually decide to behave itself <laughs> and accept a 12 gig download. We um, did, uh, yes, we did tease this on on Facebook and Instagram, didn't we? So yeah, we've recorded. Eddie wasn't there, unfortunately. He couldn't make it. He was too busy off catching shiny Pokemon on Pokemon Go to, uh, to attend. But me and a, another friend, Jordan, who will feature on the channel from time to time, uh, we did a Crown Zenith Pokemon Oh, on, what they called Elite Trainer Box opening. Elite Trainer Box. And we recorded that, which it might be crap, it might be good. We might have got some good pulls, we might not have. You'll have to wait until it comes out on YouTube. But Eddie's kindly edited that together for us. So yeah, as soon as we can, that'll be going up on YouTube. So you can hear us on, on there and actually see our hands and nothing else, because I'm not putting my face on camera for anyone's money. But... <laughs> I did actually, uh, I was considering investing in some white antique handling gloves for the opening videos, but I couldn't get hold of any quick enough. So the reason we did it is because we've, all three of us have pre-ordered a lot of Pokemon 151 and we're going to do videos on opening that. So me and Jordan did a little bit of a dry run with a couple of Crown Zenith boxes we got and we had a really good time doing it. It was really fun. So I think that's something that we'll be doing in the future. The audio is a bit dodgy because we use the microphone on the iPhone instead of plugging in an actual good microphone. But other than that, I think it's it's quite an enjoyable one. So look out for that on YouTube or on our socials. We'll be putting links up to that. So, yeah, thanks for reminding me on that one, Eddie. And do you want to do the Patreon shout-outs this week as a break from tradition, or do you want me to do it? You've got them written down in front of you. I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> To be fair, I forgot half of them last week and had to proper delve into the corners of my brain. So I actually got pulled up on uh, on that by one of our patrons. Like, it sounds like you forgot my name. I was like, well, funny you should say that. <laughs> so in the couple of coins tier, we've got Harry Flynn. In the Bucket Kicker tier, we've got the Sweaty Llama and Dino Dini. How could I forget that one? And in the Avatarnish tier, we've got Atropos. So once again, thank you, you guys and anyone else who's considering. Also, thank you to the person who's going to be kind enough to send me a new pair of headphones because they're fed up with these ones cutting out and big gaps in the audio. But yeah, we've we've had fun with this one, I think, this week. It's gone pretty fast. And we got an hour out of Skyrim, just about. Yeah, I don't know how. <laughs> we didn't manage <laughs> well, it with Portal, but we managed it with this. Well, I think that just shows what the inferior game is. 
compared to Skyrim. So yeah, look out for us on YouTube, or some of us, and hopefully all of us in a future video. And consider heading over to Patreon and helping us out, because if we get a few more few more patrons, I might actually be able to buy a new set of headphones rather than hoping someone sends me a pair. <laughs> and with that, I will say that's goodbye from me. And that's goodbye from me.